So uh, we're finishing up our three weeks on generosity, and I was reminded that my daughter Emily went to the Taylor Swift concert uh, over at the Rose Bowl last year. Anybody go? I know there were some. Yes. So on, uh, there's always somebody who went. She had a fabulous time, uh, but it reminded me that when I was her age, so long ago, uh, I was in Pasadena at a favorite concert of mine. It was my favorite group, which I'm not going to tell you who it was. People have asked me. I, I'm not, I am embarrassed. I, I, I said it was like Southern Gospel, and somebody said, was it Leonard Skinner? Oh, no, you have, you have much higher assumptions about my taste level <clears throat> than that. So, um, but they were in the Pasadena Auditorium, and, and uh, because it was my favorite group, I uh, made sure we were center uh, and just like five rows back. So it was fabulous seats. It was awesome. I uh, brought my girlfriend, who's now my wife, so she made it through that experience, and <clears throat> friends from work. And I was having the time of my life, and we uh, made it through the first set, the first uh, part up to intermission, and then uh, we took a break. And when we came back, the curtains opened, and the band was just sitting around in a circle, uh, and uh, just kind of like going off on what, you know, things, you know, a medley of songs that were the, their most popular. And everybody was having a good time. And then one of the uh, band members uh, looked at the audience and said, well, what do you want to hear? And uh, what do you want to sing? And I heard somebody shouting out my favorite song, uh, which I thought was awesome. And then my eyes kind of focused, and I realized it was me. Uh, I was standing up, the only one in the fifth row back center, in this huge auditorium, shouting out. And, uh, and then, you know, immediately, uh, euphoria turns into embarrassment. And I, I, I quick sit down, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. I just did that. And, and, uh, but Carolyn on one side and my friends on the other, they were like, that was awesome. That was, you're, I'm loving this. This is great. So, so I got their support, and then the band started playing my song. They, they, they heard me, and they said, let's do that. And it was like, oh, my gosh. So uh, it, if only it had been a good band, then it would have been the best story ever. But uh, so uh, that, that, that is the closest I think I've come to the euphoric, passionate, excited joyful moment that we read about in scripture of a woman who comes uninvited to a party, a dinner party, to anoint Jesus with perfume, with ointment out of an alabaster jar. It is, um, some, it's a familiar text to people who've been reading the Bible over the years. Um, and uh, she, uh, she does not care about anybody else. It was like, it was just her and Jesus. That's what it felt like to her. Uh, and tears of joy began to mix with tears of, of fear and anticipation because Jesus was heading towards Jerusalem and there were threats on his life and people were beginning to be anxious about what was going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. Uh, and people wanted to arrest him. And it's a powerful story uh, for a number of reasons. But I want to pause it for a minute and say something about Scripture because it will help us understand 
the significance of this particular story. So uh, the Bible, the Bible is divided into two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. And the beginning of the New Testament uh, is, are four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them that. We also call them the four Gospels. Gospels, Gospel means good news. Uh, and so there are four of these stories now in, or four of these chapters of the New Testament, books of the New Testament. And in those four books, there are about 150 stories of Jesus, events that occurred in his life, stories told about him, stories he told. And uh, they are somewhat duplicated between different books. Some of them uh, have, some, some stories are only in one gospel. Some are in multiple ones. So, for instance, the nativity, the, you know, the wise men born in Bethlehem, that whole story is in two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't cover it. Uh, and then the question, I think, reasonably to be asked is, well, what stories are in all four Gospels? Because those would be the most important stories, wouldn't you think? And yes, as a matter of fact, so all of the stories of Easter, so from Palm Sunday to Jesus being arrested before Pilate, crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, all four Gospels cover that, seri that series of stories, that week, Holy Week, Passion Week. They all cover it in multiple ways and different details. Now, aside from Holy Week, there are three stories that are told in all four Gospels. Those are probably important stories, right? All of them thought we should put th these stories in. And those stories are the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, and the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. Wow. Now, the first two, that makes sense. They, they are describing the divinity, the, God, the divine power in Jesus to multiply loaves and fish, to to walk on water, miracles. The third one isn't what Jesus did. It's what someone did for Jesus. And, but it's all of the Gospels chose to cover it. So I think we should take a look at this and see the importance of it for us. We, um, as I say, we can understand the first two, uh, but this third one, hmm, interesting. And it's also interesting because the response of the other people in the room. You would hope. I mean, when I was in the concert, uh, nobody was laughing at me. What an idiot. I mean, they were all were happy. They were all, they'd all paid tickets to be there. They thought it was a great band, too. So they, were, they thought, yeah, this, that's cool. But in this room, the host who had invited people judged her, condemned her, judged Jesus for even letting her touch him. And the disciples we will get to the disciples. The disciples were dismissive. They're like, whatever. Uh, it's, I'll get to them. So, we, um, so, so, so why is this story in Scripture? And I think it's because Jesus says this, this is the way we respond to the grace and goodness of God. So uh, we're gonna, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 7. Now, this is a long story. I just want you to listen. We won't throw it up on screen this time. We'll touch base uh, as we go through. But just listen, maybe close your eyes uh, and listen to this story. It says, one of the Pharisees, one, the religious leaders, 
asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which was a very common practice at the time. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, there is power in this story, power for us today. We can be transformed by the living word of God. And we ask that you would do that with this, with this story that's told by all four of your biographers. Help us to hear your message for us better than the disciples heard it for them, better than the Pharisee Simon heard it for himself. Let us hear your word for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it goes without saying that something important happened in this woman's life uh, that she would take this very expensive perfume and pour it out on Jesus, that she would use it that way. Um, but before we speculate on that and we talk about that, let's, let's name the elephant in the room. It's Simon the Pharisee and his judgmental attitude. Um, rather than being overwhelmed by her gesture of love, he's like, he, he's, he's not only critical of her, He's critical of Jesus for even connecting with her. He can only critique her and assume the worst about her. We aren't told exactly what he thinks of her, but we get a pretty good idea. Um, he's assuming the worst. So let's not do what he did. Uh, let's learn some generosity. In fact, uh, let's do the opposite of what Simon the Pharisee did. And in our lives, our first point is assume generously assume generously so let me just read that to you again one of the pharisees asked jesus to have dinner with him so jesus went to his home and sat down to eat when a certain immoral woman 
from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, uh, uh, yeah, we don't, yeah, boo, hiss. We don't like the Pharisee. We get that. So, um, but it is very easy to be like the Pharisee and assume the worst about people. Now, I don't know about you. I actually do know about you, but I'm saying I don't know about you to soften the blow. We assume the worst. We do. We, we uh, about people's weight, about their intelligence, about their sobriety, about their skill level. We just assume the worst when we see people. I mean, how often do we ever uh, see somebody interesting, different, challenged, whatever, and assume something positive? For instance, somebody zooms past you on the freeway, is weaving in and out of traffic at 20, 30 miles above the speed of traffic. How often have we ever said, wow, I wonder if that's a husband getting his wife to the, you know, to deliver a baby? Never. Uh, you know, how, you know, it's, oh my gosh, maybe somebody had an accident. Maybe, oh, I bet that person's late to their great-grandchild's graduation. No. They're just an idiot, right? It's, there are worse we assume the worst, so we get it that that Pharisee would do that. Um, but we seldom assume good things. And Jesus calls us to assume generously, to give the benefit of the doubt, and even assume the best about people. So um, take this woman in this story, for instance. Um, in Matthew's telling of the story, Jesus says, uh, so remember, we've looked at the Luke story, but it's told in all the others. So in Matthew, we get a little extra. And he says, Jesus says, whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And it's true. It's still discussed. Wherever the gospel is preached, we eventually get to the story. And that's awesome. But I can't believe that we and biblical translators and commentators have assumed the worst about her. In fact, I kind of think it's diabolic. I think that Satan w said, okay, I'll take that dare. Okay, Jesus, if this woman's always going to be remembered, I'm going to twist it. So she's remembered badly. And it's that word immoral. Uh, other, other translations translate it um, sinful. But the commentators and biblical translators and people who talk about this kind of just say straight out she's a prostitute now did i read the word prostitute no it, it the word prostitute is not in any of the four translations just the word immoral the word sinful i certainly hope that immoral and sinful doesn't mean prostitute because we're all immoral we are all sinful we've all done things enough said so <laughs> um, so it, 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 the Greek word means immoral. It means sinful, um, and it's used in other places. So I'm going to read you two other texts uh, where that word is used, and you decide if the people that they're talking about are prostitutes. In the Garden of Gethsemane, 
soldiers come to arrest Jesus, and Jesus says, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, wouldn't it be a very different picture if a, if a group of angry prostitutes had come to the Garden of Gethsemane, right, to take Jesus by force? Wow, that, that would be an interesting picture. But that's, that's not what's happening. It, they're soldiers. And then, um, at one point, Jesus does this amazing miracle, and Peter falls to his feet. Having, having seen what amazing things Jesus can do and who he really is, Peter um, says this, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. I, please leave me. I'm such a prostitute. Right? It doesn't... It, but, so why... So why why, why do we say, oh, well, she's a prostitute? Uh, we certainly, the soldiers and Peter and the woman, uh, they were normal, they were broken, they were imperfect human beings, but prostitutes? Frankly, I think that is what Simon the Pharisee assumed about her. Uh, it kind of is implied in some of his response to her. And maybe the men in the room didn't know her personally, but they'd heard the stories. Maybe they'd repeated the stories. Oh, you know, that's old Sally or Susie or... Tom, you know, it doesn't matter. We, we tell stories about people, whether they're true or not. They're repeated. We tweet out falsehoods. And um, frankly, I'm offended by the assumption that she has to be so bad and, and saved and redeemed from something so bad as prostitution to be able to understand how she could give such an amazing and expensive gift. Really? I'm offended that we can't just understand that she has been transformed. That her life, like ours, was in some version of the miry clay. And she was lifted up. And that Jesus Christ saw her and recognized her and didn't judge her, but said, come unto me, all you who are weary and a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And like us, we, we've had our lives changed. And, and we, have, we have hope for now and for the future. Isn't that enough to be grateful and to be generous and to say, I want to give the best of myself to Jesus? I think that's what she's doing. I think that's why the story is here. And um, it didn't matter what the other people in the room thought. She wasn't paying attention to Simon or to the disciples. She was paying attention to Jesus. She had an audience of one. She only cared what Jesus thought. And he hadn't assumed anything about her. He hadn't dismissed her, hadn't mistreated her, hadn't judged her. And we have a, joy, a choice. We can assume generously or we can assume harshly about others the way the Pharisee did. But I'm going to actually tell you we don't really have a choice. We only have a choice if we become intentional about assuming generously. It is our bent to assume harshly. So if we don't think about it, if we don't plan for it, if we don't practice, it won't be a choice. We'll just stay pretty negative. So let me encourage us um, for a next step to help us with this. This week, when you're tempted to think negatively of someone, intentionally assume generously and think of a neutral or positive reason for their action. That could be wrong. It could be silly, but so's the negative thing. 
We have no idea what's true about them. And so we assume crazy negative things. Let's assume crazy positive things. You know, uh, that person is zooming down the freeway, cutting everybody off. And, oh, my gosh, they must have just uh, gotten wind that they have the best job interview they've ever had, and they only have 15 minutes to get to it. Well, that's insane. Sure, but at least it's positive. You know, why not? You're never going to meet them. So assume positively. Think of a neutral or positive reason for their actions. So, well, that's the Pharisee's response to the woman. She's a prostitute. Jesus shouldn't even be engaged with her, which is an interesting perspective on what he thinks Jesus should be doing because Jesus was like, that's okay. I still love her. But anyway, let's move on to the second group, the disciples. Now, we haven't heard about the disciples yet. I keep saying the disciples' response. They're not in Luke. They're in Matthew. So this is what's great about having a text that has multiple uh, books describing it. Matthew often brings the disciples in, often not in a good light. And that's what happens here. And we learn from the disciples, our second point, participate generously. Participate generously. The people in the room make a difference. All public speakers know you make a difference. The audience, the congregation makes a difference. You, your energy helps the public speaker. Your laughter, your engagement, they help the public speaker. Your yawns and droopy eyes, not so much. But the, but the, the energy part, that's a good thing. And, um, and in a room, it doesn't have to be in a room like this. What about a dinner table? What about Thanksgiving, Christmas holidays? We, we know right away if anybody's interested in us. I've got a group of family relatives that when I go to that place, um, I, I don't talk. I don't tell about my stuff. And uh, they don't ask. And, and I've learned. They're not interested. And that kind of cools the room for, my, for me. Uh, so... People in a room make a difference, uh, and people can participate miserly or generously. Listen to the disciples' uh, participation in Matthew 26. A woman came to Jesus with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head and, uh, as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It, uh, it's easy for us to be like the disciples in a room and stand aloof. And look at what's going on with a jaundiced eye, with a, with a judgmental eye. And, you know, and say, eh, eh, that's not so good. I'd have done it better. You know, all those kinds of things. Um, we are invited to be part of a community that celebrates with one another and that cries with one another, that holds one another. Loneliness is one of the greatest challenges in our culture today and we have never been more digitally connected and less emotionally and physically connected and we need all of that and we can help our community by by being connected by 
participating generously. Um, and here are these disciples who have spent three years with Jesus. If anybody should know how powerful it is to know Jesus personally and to have experienced him, it's these guys. But when somebody else feels it and experiences it, they're like, hey, 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 that's our thing, not yours. You should, you should be, you know, grateful to be here. Why don't you sell that perfume? And we could have sold it and given it to the poor. And um, Jesus even says, when, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Well, what does that mean? It's this sense in the room. People were afraid for him. She was afraid for him. We know what happens. Within a week or so of this story, he's crucified. It was in the air. And people are anxious. And she comes to celebrate him, to say, I love you, thank you. Isn't it interesting? We don't actually know what he did for her. But it was something so significant that she would give this. And the, the religious leaders in the room, the most faithful, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the ones we would go to for support, blow her off. Oh, I hate that. So you just want to shake them. And I get emotional about this because I've been to those meetings. Nothing so grand as that, but I'm telling you, presbytery meetings, session meetings, all these meetings, 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 you know, and, and here's what happens. Somebody, so why would somebody who's not in the committee, in the meeting, come? Because God's been doing something in their life, and, and they're doing something in the world, and now they want the support of the organization. And so they come with all of these high hopes and expectations that, hey, we get to go before the group the leaders of the church, and we get to present our idea and, and get the support of the church. And what we do with them is we say, uh, are there any other questions? Uh, any questions? Uh, all right, well, thank you so much. Uh, uh, we'll let you know. Uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And that's if we're being generous. We could just question the heck out of them. Well, how much is this going to cost? How many people do you have? Well, what's your ratio to blah, 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 blah. And, and, and I just think, now I've been that person going to higher bodies asking for stuff. But I've also been in the room when we've done that to others. And oh, so I just think they don't, they don't have this conscious thought. But I can imagine them feeling, oh, I thought this was the leaders of the church who support efforts. Who, I thought you were going to be the ones who would bless me and pray for me. And no, you're just the business people of the church. And that's what the disciples were doing. You know, we could have done a better job. We could have sold this stuff. I wish you'd come to us before you made your decision to be pouring this stuff out. I mean, you did pour it out on Jesus, so you get points for that. But other than that, oh, sorry, that's just me. I'm just, I'm just processing my stuff out loud. You can cut that from the tape. So, um, <clears throat> Thankfully, Jesus doesn't let him get away with it. He, he says, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Participating generously means to withhold judgment, to enter into the moment, whether it's a moment of joy or a moment of sorrow, to say, well, let's celebrate or let me cry with you, not let me bring you down or pull you up, to, to participate generously to ask open-ended questions like say a little more about why that's so important to you uh, rather than a closed-ended statement like well that's, that's dumb you know that which is what they were saying so next step for us 
in a conversation this week, a conversation or a meeting that you're a part of, could be who knows where, when someone shares any kind of personal statement, say, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. Whether it's your role or not, whether you're sitting in a big circle of 30 people and they share something and you're on the other side of the room and the other people move on, you say, excuse me, could I just stop for a minute? I just want to thank you for sharing that. Wow. That person won't remember anyone but you in the room because of your generosity. And if appropriate, invite them to say more. For example, that must have made you happy or that must have been difficult. These are not rocket science next steps. I'm just, you know, right? These are not, I don't, I don't try to give you things so hard, right? <laughs> just be generous. Participate generously. Assume generously. Participate generously. And the third thing we learn from this generous woman is give generously. Give generously. So uh, let's get straight about this understanding of this is expensive perfume. This is expensive perfume. This was, this was, this was the, great, the most expensive thing this woman owned. This was the most expensive thing anybody in the room could have owned. This jar, alabaster jar. I don't know how much Chanel number five costs, but this costs more. So th- what they say is that this was probably in the day worth today about $50,000. $50,000. You know what you can buy for $50,000? Some Rolex watches are, you could buy for $50,000. You could buy a brand new Ford Explorer for $50,000 or a 40-year-old Ferrari. So take your pick. Um, do you know you could buy a four-bedroom house in Toledo, Ohio for forty for $50,000? Here's the point. The point was not that it was expensive. It was that it was irreplaceable. One of a kind. Never to be repeated. That's the kind of gift that she gave. Here are some significant gifts that have been given. So somebody asked people, write in and tell us the greatest gift you ever received. Listen to some of these answers. A cutting board engraved with a favorite recipe in my late mom's handwriting. A set of cufflinks with the GPS coordinates of the location of our first kiss. A hand-painted ornament from my childhood home. Can't get that anywhere. A -a Build-A-Bear dressed as a soldier with a personal message from my deployed brother. These are irreplaceable. Some of them are expensive. Some of them not. That's not the point. Listen to the contrast that Jesus describes in Luke 7. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, She has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed me, my feet, with rare perfume. Passionate giving, uh, generosity. It's not easy to imagine how to give so passionately. Um, 
as that woman did. I'm not even sure what it would look like. Uh, but we see from those significant gifts that it isn't about expense. It's about meaning. And this story of this woman's gift isn't just about her, her mo- in the moment. This is her future. This is that thing that she could have sold if she ever absolutely needed to. She, she took her security and said, Jesus is my security now. I don't need this anymore. Wow. I'm not saying we're supposed to do that, but imagine what perhaps that thing could have held on to her heart, could have, maybe it had closed her heart, hardened her heart. I won't assume negatively about her, but and maybe she needed to give this up, and the best way to give it up was to give it up to Jesus. We don't know, but we certainly don't have to think the worst of, of her. Um. Have you ever been given something significant? Have you ever received a generous gift? I have. So as a pastor, we often see people come into the church who need help, a variety of reasons why. And I had a fellow come in, uh, needed help. He said that uh, he was drinking way too much, had been for decades. He lived in his van had to move every morning uh, before the police would roust him and and get him to move. And he needed some help. Yes, he needed a little bit of money. But what he said was, what I want more than money is to be done with this. I want to let go of this. I want to move on. I've tried. I can't. Can you help? Well, I was ready to try. Two years we spent meeting together. And I can tell you adventures with this guy. I mean, I went to see his van. I went to see his dog. I, we, uh, I, I brought him to the, to the kitchen to help make Thanksgiving turkeys. Uh, with, and I, I got him to a small group, a, a Sunday school class. I sat with him because the other people in the room were like, ah, who is this guy? And I'm like, he's okay, he's with me. And uh, lots going on with this fellow. Uh, he would disappear for a while and then come back. And he disappeared for a while, and then uh, after these two years. And then he came back, and he was dressed nicely, and he said, uh, I'm here to say goodbye. Uh, I have been offered a job, and I'm moving away, and I wanted to give you something. And he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a green six-month sobriety coin and gave that to me. I still have it, 20 years later, tucked away safely, because that is an irreplaceable gift. That is him saying, this is for you, but it's for this church. I I can't thank you enough. Now, no one knew better than he how little he deserved the help that was offered to him. But he he, he was weighted down no longer with guilt, but with gratitude for what others had done for him. That is the kind of gift we want to give So here's the next step. Think of a meaningful gift or note or gesture you can offer that communicates your appreciation. Just a gift or or a note, a handwritten note, um, or a gesture that you can offer that communicates your appreciation. And I think that the reason this text gets into all four Gospels, one of the most significant reasons uh, is, is the last point. Be forgiven generously. Be forgiven generously. 
Now, oftentimes in a sermon, we'll say, forgive generously. Forgive as you have been forgiven. This is not a story of asking people to forgive. This is a story of someone who has been forgiven. Of something so substantial that her life has been transformed and she can't help but come and ignore the horrible looks and statements of others around her simply to sit at the feet of Jesus and weep on his feet and wash his feet with her hair and and pour out this unbelievable gift because of forgiveness. It says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he gladly He kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, said Jesus. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has showed me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. It's easy to be self-satisfied, to feel like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, Jesus forgave my sins, I'm doing pretty well, um, if I ever think of something I need to confess, I will, but you know, not, not that bad, um, and, uh, and we kind of drift away from that sense of gratitude for all that he has done for us, for all he's willing to do for us. Sometimes Uh, We know what we need to be forgiven for. Ugh! I did that again. I said that again. I didn't do that again. But sometimes we're not sure. Sometimes there's things we haven't, we we don't realize. uh, Where we've hurt someone and we didn't even know it. Uh, So Psalm 139 is for us in those cases. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So we have a next step. Final next step. Search your heart and mind and see if there is something you want to let go of. And ask forgiveness for. And pray out loud that Psalm 139. Can you imagine a psalmist who has let go of everything. And sought forgiveness. And is so clean before the Lord that he can sit uh, on the ground and raise his hands or her hands and say... Lord, I have let go of everything. You have forgiven me. I'm so grateful. Would you just see if there's anything else? Wow, what a place to get to. Can you just see if there's anything else that I need to let go of? And always in our hearts, God will say, well, there's this. There's this. We, We give generously. We can assume generously. We can participate generously. When we have been forgiven generously. When we are new creations. I'm so glad Jesus has responded positively to the woman. And I can't help but wonder how it would have been in that room if everybody else had responded positively to her. If everybody else had, 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 had heard this message, had read the story ahead of time, and had said, we need to celebrate with her. Oh my gosh, what a, what a party. That would have been. We need each other. 
We need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I needed my friends at that concert. And that woman needed Jesus and really others as well. The man living in the van needed the church community. We aren't made to do this by ourselves. We're made to do it together. We need to be Christ to each other. Let us generously be Christ to one another.